grace and mercy and holding our hands throughout this uncertain, troubling world. He's just always there and always faithful. That's a blessed, blessed, blessed promise we have. I want to begin a study in the book of Colossians this Sunday morning. Starting the first chapter of the book of Colossians. I, I sat down and kind of started to wrap my study up yesterday, and I ended up spending almost all of yesterday evening studying. There's so much in, uh, in this wonderful book of God's Word. I just, I'm thankful for His Word. I was thinking yesterday as I was organizing some books in my office, uh, all these books I was putting on the shelves, and I love books, and I, y'all know that I've said that. And I thought, there's not a single book I've got in my entire library that I can pick up and it's new every time. And so that's just such a blessing, such a blessing. Excited for this, this study in the book of Colossians. And uh, we'll begin reading in the first verse. We may not, uh, I don't know how far we'll get, but we'll just let the Lord lead. So Colossians chapter number one, verse number one. The Bible says, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Grace be unto you, and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you. Since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom, and spiritual understanding. That'll be the verse we begin in this morning. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for ever filling us with your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for this fresh anointing, this fresh oil that you've given in this study to me. I thank you for that. I pray that we might share this. I pray that this seed of your word might go find, uh, hopefully, fallow ground in the hearts of the people here. I pray that we might all grow from it. We might go out into the world and God be enriched and nourished and growing in you and your son, Jesus. God will be careful to give you all the praise, the honor, and glory in Jesus' holy name. It, it is we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, I, I see a theme in the books that Paul writes. Of course, he's always thankful even when he's needing to chastise uh, a group of Christians. He's still thankful for them. He's still praying for them. And it's, it's the same here in Colossians. And uh, so uh, his, throughout his introduction, he, of course, is, is, is just encouraging and building up this, this church. And, and so I know there's quite a few verses where we're going to kind of skip over. But nonetheless, here in verse 9, this is where we'll begin this morning. 
Um, I'm going to read it one more time. It says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and as to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, I, I believe this is where he begins to build a case for Christ and who Christ is to the church and uh, the importance of keeping Christ first and foremost as the head of the church. And I believe that, that, that Paul is making very clear that he is he's prayerful. He's mentioned that a few times here, but he is reiterating the fact uh, that he's praying for them, but also the fact that he prays without ceasing that they that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And that stuck out to me in my study this week because uh, we are living in a society where uh, where where uh, the the encouragement to become more knowledgeable uh, doesn't seem to be there like it used to be. The encouragement to become more wise isn't there where it used to be. Oh, we'll just rely on grandma and grandpa. They're wise that we'll get through off what they know. And you see people, they go into their 20s, they go into their 30s, they go into their 40s, and they're going trying to rely on someone else's wisdom and knowledge of how to get by and get along. Now, there are some things that you are more inclined to do than I am. That's how it is. Uh, you can, I, I told somebody the other day, you give me a hammer, nails, wood, I can't build nothing. I barely built a birdhouse one time. Uh, I'm just not inclined with that. But mechanical things, I'm more inclined in that area. Um, but more, more so than anything, uh, we cannot use that type of excuse in a spiritual nature. Well, I'm more inclined to do this. I'm more inclined to know this or know that. That's not how God works. That's not how his wisdom works. The wisdom of the world may be that way, but the wisdom of God does not work that way. You're more inclined to this. You're more inclined to that. No, no, no. Uh, I'm more inclined to maybe serve in one capacity where you may be more inclined to serve in another, but God's wisdom is all the same. If we seek it, we can all know his truth, his, his, his work, and his holiness given through his word. And so uh, I think it's wonderful that Paul is very prayerful for their knowledge and, and their wisdom and spiritual understanding. And as I said, in our society, and even in society today, we've seen it amplified, the world we're living in, of, well, uh, almost a sense of, you know that, you understand that. The world just kind of gives uh, credit to people for stuff. They just kind of uh, assume that they know. They, they have kind of made people think that they know. And the church, in another sense, that's what we've seen uh, years ago when, when the, the, the men got together and they decided uh, there was a need and a necessity to, to uh, translate the King James Bible to make a faithful translation to God's word. We see it's because there was a, a leadership withholding knowledge to men. There was a leadership holding, withholding knowledge to God's children. And we see today that's what it's come back to uh, is, is that there is a, there's leadership in churches withholding knowledge of God, withholding knowledge of Christ. But the people today, they don't have the desire like they did 400 years ago. People today, they want the preacher to know. They want the preacher to be knowledgeable. They want the deacon to be knowledgeable and the, and the choir leader to be knowledgeable. But they themselves won't invest in wisdom and knowledge of Christ. Now, I know that's a rabbit hole. I just had to say that this morning. And, and so, uh, so it's amazing to see this and, and Paul's dedication to praying for the knowledge and wisdom of this church. And, and I'll just say this, that that's the, the most vital piece of, of growth in a church is biblical growth in knowledge and wisdom. That makes us more spiritual. The only way we can be effective is to be more spiritual. 
I'm not going to have any effect out in the world. I'm not going to have any effect inside of this building. I'm not going to have any effect in my home unless I'm growing in a spiritual nature. goes on in verse 10 and it says, That she might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That is a product of growth in wisdom and spiritual understanding. And so that is a product of that, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Being fruitful means you're bearing fruit, and I've said it before, that's worth consuming. You're bearing fruit that's worth having. If you've got a tree that's bearing rotten fruit, if it's rotten from the beginning, you probably shouldn't leave it standing for too long. If it's not bearing good fruit from the beginning, there's no reason to keep it. There's no reason to leave it there. Recently, as you know, uh, I got up, I got into some poison oak and shoemaking and everything, and I'm still dealing with some of the after effects of that. And, and I've got this one spot that just doesn't seem to want to go away. And, and how that, uh, when that stuff gets started up, if you can catch it quick enough and you can get it down and you can get rid of it, you need to. That's the reality of a spiritual life is get that mess out of the way. And, and so that, that as you grow spiritually, the fruit will be good when it starts to come up. That you can go and you can pick from the tree and, and, and you can enjoy the good fruit. But more so anything than anything, people that are passing by can come by, pick from the tree of this church and they can have good fruit. That's an important and vital piece of the growth of a church. He says in verse 11, Strengthened with all might according to the glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now that word stuck out to me in my study. So we're going to look at three things this morning uh, concerning, the, concerning Christ. And we'll go as far as we can. We may not get, all, get to all three, but we'll at least look at this, this one piece here, Christ our Father. I believe that, that, that our, our, uh, our friend Paul here is exclaiming Christ the Father here in these verses. And he is Christ the Father in the sense that that word inheritance sticks out. That inheritance, it comes from above. That inheritance comes from those that have came before you. Those that have came ahead of you. Now, the important thing to realize about an inheritance, and I don't want to get too caught up on this, but it just stuck out really, really. Uh, it was just in, in my head. I couldn't get away from, from studying this. But that thought of inheritance, that is something that is a free gift that is, is passed to someone that you, in, in essence, you didn't have to do anything to get. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing that we can work hard in our lives we can achieve things and we can build up things in our lives and we can give that as a gift one day when we pass along. Yeah. That someone else can reap the benefits of our hard work. The reality is you, at some point in time, you've probably inherited something yourself. Some people want to hang on to what they have. I, well, I don't want anybody to have it when I go. The reality is, is the, tr the truth about it is that what you have... You, you've probably been given something down the line yourself. You've probably inherited something. You've probably been the beneficiary of something every day in my job. My, I, I've, I've just settled that my job is just to help people try to find loopholes to be able to be able to give their kids something 
not having to worry about pay a bunch of taxes on and not having to worry about do a bunch of this and do a bunch of that. I'm not a crook. I'm just saying uh, that you got to find you got to find a way to be able to uh, give it, give stuff down so that it don't, somebody doesn't have to pay to get something. That's their birthright. That's the beautiful thing about the inheritance we get from Christ. I don't have to go and say, "All right, I got to get Riley's name on my account, Lord. I got to make him my beneficiary because when I die." I don't want him to have to pay any inheritance tax on, on what he gets. I just want it to be his. That's not how it works. The beauty of the inheritance that, that's gifted is it doesn't come from me. It comes from God. The spiritual inheritance that he can receive, it comes from the Lord. It's his to give. It's a free gift. He did the work. He did the labor. He, he died upon the cross to be able to pass something down to, to me, to be able to pass something down to a little Riley, to be able to pass something down to you and your family. That inheritance uh, uh, stuck out in my mind is it's a gift only given to the saved. Acts 20, 32, it says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. In essence, you've got to be a part of the family to receive that inheritance. That's a beautiful thing. It's not something that's just, uh, just given out to anyone. But anyone that wants to be a part of it can receive it. It's wonderful to think about the, the truth and the reality of that gift. And that it could be so, it, it, but it's sad to see that it could be so close in the front of someone. That they, and they wouldn't want to take it. They wouldn't want to be a beneficiary of it. It's a gift that points us back to Christ. Acts twenty six eighteen. it says, To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. The inheritance that we're given, this gift that this this verse is talking about, as he says, uh, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That inheritance that he's referring to, it points us back to Christ. Because he is the gift giver. He is the father that leaves us that inheritance. It's a gift that points us to Christ. Also, it's determined by God in his perfect will. Ephesians 1.11, it says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. People hear that and they get scared to death hearing predestinated, predestined, predestination. People hear that and they I, just tense up. People, preachers read it and they, they won't refer to it because they're afraid they have to explain it. Here's the reality in, simpl- in simplicity. God knew before the foundation of the earth who would accept his free gift of salvation. But he still offers it to every man. It's still offered as an opportunity to everyone. It's just he knew who would accept it. And in essence, that means it's predestined before the foundation of the earth. He knew I would accept it, you would accept it. Anyone that would accept it, he knew. It's determined by God. He wants to give to us and he knows those that will accept it. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That before... He even formed the the earth, the ground we stand on, the wood that surrounds us, the glass that keeps the the weather out, lets the sunlight in. Before he founded, created, spoke into existence, all of this, he knew who would accept him. 
He knew who would be a beneficiary of his inheritance. It's also sealed and insured by him. Some of my favorite verses in all of God's word, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In essence, the insurance policy written uh, over your inheritance and your salvation is right here. This is a policy from the beginning to the back, the back. As someone would say from Genesis to the maps, it's all true and it's written and it's the insurance policy to prove and to show that nothing can touch it, nothing can corrupt it. And that's the, that's the father that we have. That's Christ our father, the one that would give us that opportunity to take hold of this inheritance and be benefactors and beneficiaries of this, this great gift that he gives. It's sealed and insured by him. And once you get it, you can't get rid of it. I was listening to a friend of mine. He was preaching and listening to one of the messages he was preaching the past couple of weeks. And he said, I was talking to a guy that came to church and he said, I want to get saved and I'll try this out for a little while. I'll try it out for a little while. We'll just see how it works. And he said that, the preacher, he said that concerned me. Because if you go in it think, and, and you come out still feeling like you're going to just try it out, something's wrong. Yeah. It's not a matter of just trying it out. It changes your life. Yeah. If you get it and it's real and it's true, it completely transforms who you are. And it's sealed and insured by him. People believe that you can lose it. People believe that God would take it back. That makes God a liar. Yeah. If that's the kind of God we serve, I don't care to be a Christian. Because that makes him a liar. And he's certainly not a liar. And the proof is in that, that verse right there. It says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be re revealed in the last time. They are kept. That shows me, it proves to me, first and foremost about Bible study, if you're going to do any Bible study, you better believe and accept that every bit of this word was inspired by God and given by God to men to be pinned down for us to, to receive. It's inspired word. And if it says we're kept, we're kept. That's all there is to it. I was reading a, a commentary by, I mentioned his name. Everybody, everybody would probably know him. He's been dead for many years. But reading a commentary on it, and I just cannot stand when I see this. And it said, he, the guy was talking about this verse in Colossians, the verse 12, referring to our inheritance Paul is encouraging this church giving, to give thanks unto the Father, God Christ our Father, for the inheritance that he gives, for the blessedness that, that he said, the inheritance of saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. That's beautiful scripture. That's promising scripture. And this commentator, he said, it should have been written this way. It should have been written this way. Nearly, nearly almost the way he said it should have been written, he nearly took out the inheritance. And I'm thinking, my goodness, you're revered as one of the, 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 the brightest preachers of, of the early 1900s and, and certainly in the southeast. Like I said, I mentioned his name. You know, and I'm thinking, this is somebody, 
what in the world? Where have we got to the point that we think that we can say those types of things? The reality is his whole word is inspired, and right here he is exclaiming and he is telling us that we have this incorruptible inheritance that's translated us from the power of darkness. Or uh, he says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dearest son. Why would we need to change any of that? That's all the promise I need from Christ my Father. That inheritance given, we ought not try to change the terms and conditions of it. I won't even chase that rabbit, but that's Christ our Father. It was his gift, his power, his might, his love, that has allowed us to end his family. What a beautiful picture to see Christ our Father. It goes on down in, we'll read verse 14. It says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. We've seen Christ our Father, but think about Christ our Creator, who is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of every creature. I work with a girl and someone she knows, cares for deeply, has went and joined a church that does not believe in the Trinity, in the, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And it, and it concerned me as it concerned her. We were talking about this and she was sharing this with me. And, and I'm thinking, how do you, you can't have Christ without God. You can't have God without Christ. You can't have God and Christ without the Holy, Holy Ghost. They, they, they're, they're all three one. I know I'm simple, but they're, that's how it works. It's, it's clear in the scripture. Yeah. I like what Clarence Larkin said in his book, Dispensational Truth. A lot of that book I don't understand, um, but he wrote in his book, Dispensational Truth, in regards to the creation of the world. He said, God the Father created the matter. God the Son took the matter and made the worlds and all that exist upon them. And then God the Holy Spirit breathed the breath of life into the things that have life. It requires all three for this thing to work. And so as it says here, and I don't know where people get this kind of stuff from. I think it comes from studying what we want to hear. But it says, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? Christ, our creator, he is the image of God. He literally was God-made man. He was flesh that had, he became flesh. He was part flesh, part God. We can't comprehend how that works, but he was still God on this earth. When he ascended to heaven, he was still God. He's still God today. He was God before the foundation of the earth. Even in the creation, that's what that, that, that reference in that book was saying, is even in the creation, there were those three working together. He's the image of God. And then verse 16 and 17, it says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. That gave me a little bit of encouragement. We see what's going on over right now. We were talking about Israel before Sunday school. We see what's going on, and it doesn't surprise me. A lot of them jokers over there in the Middle East, they're out of their minds anyway, but you see the protection that Israel has. It's amazing. 
what God still does to bless them. And, and we were talking about how in our nation, God still protects and blesses us as a nation. And it's amazing to think that all the things we can see were created by him. But also, as it says, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. All the people in office, all the people in leadership, Hamas, Israel, all created by him, and it hasn't happened and surprised him. It's just, I don't know what else to tell you other than the fact that he's God and he allows these things to happen. He's created these things. I had a a friend that after the most recent election, I mean, it was just like, I, like I'd went over to his house and shot his dog in his yard, just moping around and just, I, I didn't like the outcome. I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to lie to you. But nothing surprises God. At the end of the day, I don't serve Joe Biden. I didn't serve Donald Trump. I hadn't served any other crooked politician before that. And I'm not here to serve any crooked politician that's going to come along in the future. None of this stuff and stuff surprises God. And that's the sense of encouragement Paul is giving here in the book of Colossians. He's saying all the things that happen, all that goes on, all of our existence, all of our leadership, all of the people around us, all that those we work for, all of those we would serve, all the, those that we are around, it's not surprised God because he created all things visible and invisible. It doesn't matter if it's the thrones of the kingdoms. It doesn't mean mean if it's the dominion that you live in, and it doesn't mean the principalities that stand before us. God created and allowed it all. And that was, matter of fact, that's Christ, the creator of the world, that is, our Savior, the one that came and died for us. You know what? Those principalities, those thrones, those dominions, all those things that stand... Those people that would do us wrong, those that would push us down, those that would harm God's children, they will stand before him. They will answer and account for the things they're done. If they don't turn to Christ, they'll be cast into a lake of fire for eternal, into eternal hell. That's what this book says. It doesn't matter that, hey, this stuff's happened. I don't like it. We're probably going to face persecution. I don't know what's going to happen. We're Americans. We'll probably be called to arms before... Four, it gets too crazy. That's just how we deal with stuff, seems to be. But my goodness, this nation there's, doesn't even seem to be the, the driver, the might. You, you go back a generation or two. You, you put that generation in what we're dealing with now. They'd have been some action taken a long time ago. They wouldn't just go storm the Capitol in some crazy mass unplanned mess. They'd go find somebody. They want answers. Those generations before, they were serious. But the people that are blinded by the God of this world, even people that would align morally with me or you. This, I was talking to a Christian, and he kept referring back to these, these conservative commentators and conservative uh, uh, people on different news channels. And I'm like, brother, listen to these people. Well, they might, we might agree on a, on a political landscape, but they're morally, they're blinded by the God of the world just like anybody else. We need to turn to Christ, the creator of the world. It doesn't matter what it is that is in existence on this earth. He created it all. It's not surprised him. At the end of the day, revenge and vengeance is his. I ain't going to be worried about it. I might go out of here without a head. 
I might go out of here poor. Might go out of here living in a cave. I don't know. But you know what? It's not surprised him. He's the creator of the world. That's Christ our creator. Amen. Ephesians 3, 9 says, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. That goes back to what that, that book was saying by Clarence Larkin is how it took Christ the Father, took Christ the, or took God the Father, Christ the Son, takes the Holy Spirit, it takes the Holy Ghost to all combined work together to create all of this we see. He's Christ our creator. In verse 18, it says, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. We, we can get worried, and, and it's not a lot of confirmation or it's not a lot of consolation, I mean, to hear that he created the world sometimes. When things when the world's falling apart, yeah. it's not a lot of consolation to hear, well, he created it. Yeah. He'll handle it. These crooked people that are ruling and leading and doing all this stuff, he put them into power. That doesn't make you feel any better. It doesn't make me feel any better. But the fact that he is the head of the church, that makes me feel good. To when it says he is the head of the body, if we will subject ourselves and let him be the head, sure. that's when things change. Mm -hmm. That's how a church weathers persecution. We'll probably see it. We, we may see it tomorrow, the persecution that, that, that could, could come to our door at any moment. We're already seeing it. Uh, I read a story. There was a, there's an Israeli actor, or actress, rather, that had commented on the, all that's going on. You know, talking about her country and what was happening there, and they're wanting to cancel her and shut her down. Why, these people with millions and millions of dollars, if they can get shut down and sent home, how much how, how much would it take for us to be that way? It, it's, it's scary. But if we'll let Christ be the head of the church, it says, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. That's telling me it's part of God's plan for Christ to lead the church. All this is going on in the world. All this chaos is happening. All this is, the world's burning down. Things are happening. It doesn't surprise him. And that doesn't make you feel any better. Doesn't make me feel any better. But the reality is, is he's the head of the church. And if we let him lead, he'll take us through it. He'll take us through it. That's Christ the creator of the world. I got so many notes here, I'm getting lost. He's the head of the church, and we may wrap up with this. I'm going to try to be quick, but there's a few things about him as the head of the church that's the truth, and it comes directly from his word. 1 Corinthians 3.11, For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation of the church. I'm afraid there's a lot of churches that are being tested right now. And this past year has, has brought up some stuff in churches. That's, that's really a good thing. That it's, it's brought some things to light for churches to realize what, what, what's your foundation? What is laid at, below the surface? What have you put down? That, that, have, you, have you built it up on, on your own accomplishments? Has, has this church done something by what they've accomplished, by what they've said, by what they've given? Or is he the foundation of the church? Furthermore, he is the cornerstone. Yeah. 
in Ephesians 2.20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, I told you I ain't much of a builder. I ain't much of a builder. I hung some curtains yesterday, and I felt like I'd done something. Shelby forced me to let her mark the holes just because I'm not inclined in that way. But I'm smart enough, enough to know that the cornerstone, you know what that means in my old Lester terms? That's the most important part of the foundation. He's the chief cornerstone. He's not just the head of the church. He's not just the foundation of the church. He is the most important part of the church. Amen. Heard a preacher this past week. He said, the, the biggest shame, biggest calamity of church today is you don't hear enough people preaching about Jesus. People just skip it all over. He said, I, I've, I, he, talk, he was talking about talking to someone recently of how they were seeking to go to a church where they could learn more and grow deeper in God's word. And he said, uh, and this was one of his church people, and he said, I, he said, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate you wanting to grow more in God's word. He said, but this church is full of people that are lost, trying to get answers. He said, we've got to preach on Jesus right now. That's the most important thing. This world right here, and, and, he, and furthermore, he encouraged him. He said, and, and what he was saying is, if you only have a second, if you only have a split second to talk to somebody about God, if you only have a moment, to talk to somebody about the Lord. If you only have 30 minutes to preach, if you only have an hour to sit with someone, don't talk about uh, a, a biblical uh, a preference of, of certain doctrines. Don't talk about denominational preference. That stuff's important, don't get me wrong, but but you've got to remember that uh, we shouldn't be talking about uh, these these types of things or, or what we think this means in Revelation, but it comes back to Christ. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the most important piece of what we do. And in a day we are living in, we need to do more and do as much possible because this world needs to hear it because I think this is wrapping up. And hey, it's been wrapping up for 2,000 years. The moment Riley was born, he started dying. 1995, the moment I was born, I started dying. The day you were born, you started dying. That's the reality. But hey, we need to be ready. It comes like a thief in the night. That's when we least expect it. That's when we, we're not on top of our game. That's when Christ will come. It might be tomorrow. We need to tell as many people that we know. I, I'd love for him to come back before we wrap up. I'll get out of the way. I'll just, I'll get out of the way. <laughs> he can take the service. That'd be great. But the reality is, at any moment, he could come. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the most important piece. That's what we need to be preaching on. That's what we need to be sharing. He's also the picture of a biblical home. Over in Ephesians 5, we're staying in Ephesians a lot in our study of Colossians, but you'll find Colossians and Ephesians, they really uh, align in a lot of different ways. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Men like to use this, just like women like to use uh, love your wife like Christ loved the church, but this is the picture and example of a biblical home. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Have you seen the, the, the picture of, of the model home, the biblical home? It's Christ at the top. It's umbrellas. It's Christ, the biggest umbrella at the top. Then it's the husband. Then it's the wife. And then it's the children. And I believe that's, that, that, that's a perfect example of what this picture is saying. What this, this, this scripture is saying. I wish I'd uh, stuck some more of that scripture from Ephesians in there, but Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. If children will be 
into subjection, godly subjection to their parents, if wives will be in, un, under godly subjection to their husbands, and husbands will be under godly subjection to Christ, it all works pretty good. Amen. The nuclear home doesn't explode at that point in time. It stays good. Things stay content. But it has to work in that order. It has to work in that way. Christ gives us the picture of a biblical home. Yeah. Just live and die by what his word says. Sure. That picture of a biblical home, it's being subject, being, being the, therefore is the church is subject unto Christ. Let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. That's a beautiful picture. That's not slavery if it's done right. It's not pain if it's done right. It's just a picture of a biblical home. And that's Christ being the foundation of that home. That's Christ being the cornerstone of that home. That's Christ being the leader of that home. Finally, I think I'm going to get it all, all said before we get out of here. goes on, verse number 19, or verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, ye yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. We've seen Christ our Father, we've seen Christ our Creator, and then we see finally Christ our Redeemer. He is first, look at Jesus the peacemaker, verse 20 and 21. And having made peace through the blood of the cross, by him reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Jesus our peacemaker, he makes things right for us. He's the only person that can give you peace in your life. You can try everything you want to. You can get up and have a, an exercise regimen and drink a, a certain tea and sit down and do a certain thing. I find I'm a creature of habit. If I do same, things the same way, I'm more likely to have uh, just mental peace. But uh, if you think of a spiritual peace, this world is blinded about peace. This world is blinded about, about things. And you get to talking to people about, especially people that don't know the Lord or maybe they, they've never grown up and heard too much about it. They've created in their mind something that gives them peace about their eternity. You don't talk to people. You talk to atheists that, don't, that say there is no God, that say that he doesn't even exist. They've still tried to make peace about their eternity. That's amazing that we are, we're, we're fleshly creatures and we can get and, and never be around God, never be around his word, but by nature we still desire to know. We still desire to know what's going to happen when we die. That's amazing to me. That's another proof of God. If this thing just happened by happenstance, if there was just a big explosion 57,000 million years ago, explain to me why people still want to have peace about things. Anyway, side note there. Jesus, the peacemaker. You talk to people. Well, you know, I'm going to do just good enough to get through, get into heaven. It was always this. I remember this when I was a kid. Riley, thank you for paying attention, buddy. When I was just a kid, I always remember this country song. that said in that song, working hard to get to heaven. And even as a little five-year-old, six-year-old boy, I knew that's not right. Well, I don't work hard to get to heaven. I only get to heaven by the grace of God. It's amazing how even people with good intentions 
They, they try to do good things. And, and what's sold to this world, what's presented to this world, is you just work hard, you'll get to heaven. You just stay busy, you'll get to heaven. You just treat people right, you get to heaven. That's not how it works. It takes Jesus, the peacemaker. He's the only one that can settle that seed. My goodness. Think about that. He is the only one that can settle that. And you talk to people that don't see it that way, and they just think, well, I'll just I'll go back to the dust. I'll go back to the dusty earth. I was talking to somebody who didn't believe in God, and he said, I'll just go back to the dusty earth. I said, you believe that we came from atoms and all kinds of other stuff blowing up. How, why do you think we're going? you'd go back to the dust of the earth? Well, I don't know. I don't know. It's in our nature to know God. It's in our nature to think about God. It's in our nature to want, to desire, to, to think about him. It's in our very nature. You talk to an atheist and they say, well, I don't believe that, I don't believe in heaven, I don't believe in God, but I believe that I'm a good person and according to what, uh, what uh, Confucius would say or what Buddha would say, I think that if we, if we do good when we die, when we die, that we will just kind of be in a, an existence of peace. I don't know where they got that from. What hat they pulled that out of. Where they thought that up. I asked a guy one time, I said, well, what about people that do wrong? Hmm. I've never thought about that. You realize that it takes a peacemaker. It takes a savior. It takes Christ our redeemer to make things right. And as it says here in these verses, it says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Real quick, three-minute Bible lesson here. Three-second Bible lesson. I'm going to take three minutes. And you that were sometimes alienated. This is something, if you need to share this with somebody. If you've got somebody that's confused about the end of their life, if you've got somebody that's confused about their eternity, share this with them. Breaks it down. Very simple. And you that were sometimes alienated, before we can know God, we've got to realize that we're not part of his family. We've got to realize that we are separated from him. And enemies in your mind by wicked works. We're not just separated from him, but our very fleshly nature thrives in sin. We love it. We love it. Our flesh loves that. Yet now hath he reconciled. Go back to verse 20. It says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross. The way that he reconciled that is on the cross of Calvary. That's the answer to eternity right there. Is realizing we're separated from it. We're out in sin. But he is a peacemaker. He reconciled it for us upon the cross of Calvary. And if we just turn to that, if we just accept that, if we just abide by that, if we just say, Lord, I, I believe this. Forgive me. I'm wrong. That's how we reconcile. That's how we make peace. Through him. Jesus the peacemaker. I've got more. I'm going to hang it up. because I've got more and I, just, I want to be able to spend time there. Jesus, the peacemaker. We'll come back to this, Lord willing, pretty soon. I've so, been so blessed in this study this week. So much good stuff in here. I showed Shelby my notes yesterday. And she said, we're going to be there all day. I've been going 43 minutes. I appreciate your attention. I wonder if anyone would have anything this morning.